Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Cutting Room Floor Podcast. I'm Clay Wright. I'm here with Pastor Jim Minling. Pastor Jim, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you, Clay? I'm doing, I'm doing well. I've had, a, I've had a kind of like a roller coaster of a week mm. in some ways. But I feel good. <laughs> good. So, well, it's about to get better because this is—it's always fun to talk together. Absolutely, I, I told you, we were talking about this beforehand. But I get so excited to do this, and <laughs> am thankful for this opportunity. And yeah. I hope uh, whoever's listening is is getting excited and, and starting to anticipate um, joining this conversation with us as well. You know, I'm—I think having conversations about Scripture is one way that, as a church community. We can be devoted to God's word. And, and that's what we're trying to do here. Um, Absolutely. The uh, ancient Jews never studied scripture by themselves. They always studied it in a group, discussed it in a group. It yeah. was a community thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, if you are a regular listener or, or even if this is your first time uh, tuning in with us, one thing that we were really looking forward to is engaging you in a deeper way by uh, responding to some questions that you have as you're listening to the sermon. Um, and so if you have questions as you're listening, you can let us know about those questions by emailing them to podcast at opendoor.tv. So feel free to do that with, with your questions. You know, we have questions. We love asking questions of the word, uh, but we don't want it just to be a conversation between the two of us. Mm. We want to bring you into that. And so, yeah. uh, if the Lord will prompt a question, you send it to us. We, we'd love to field it and, and, uh, participate with you in this conversation in that way. So um, I wanted to give that plug just right yeah. at the beginning. I usually plug that at the end, but <laughs> we haven't gotten any questions in yet. So <laughs> maybe people are not listening to the very end. Yes, that's possible. So, yeah. Hey, well, there it is at the beginning. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we're, we're in the gospel of Luke as a church. We're continuing in this series about discipling the next generation. Uh, we're in the second week of that series. And, uh, pastor Jim, last week on the podcast, you talked to us a little bit in advance about this, uh, plan, uh, that, that you see that, that God is sort of intentionally parenting Israel. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that we can uh, learn about parenting as well and, and take some principles from that. And then this this week, you, you really got into that uh, plan in your sermon. Uh, you didn't get all the way through that plan, <laughs> which is which is totally fine. Uh, so we'll finish that up next week. I think we had uh, points one through three this week and, and parts of seven, and then we'll finish right. it out the following week. But um as we are working through the Gospel of Luke, and as we're anticipating picking up some of these pieces from the sermon, there was one thing that you mentioned. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned it both hours, but I wanted to bring it up because I think it's a great thing for us to think about and be reminded of. And it's this. You were talking about the parenting principles that you're taking out of the Gospel of Luke. Hmm. And you mentioned, you, you sort of paused and you said, now... Um, this is, you know, I don't think that Luke's intention oh, yeah. was to give us a parenting plan. Right. So can you bring us into, is there a reason you were using the language about Luke's intention and mm -hmm. why pause to give us that note? And why is that significant to you? Well, I think I, I also said 
um, that I was teaching our staff how to preach. Um, and so um, one of the things that I'm teaching in, in, in those classes is that when you're interpreting the scripture, you want to ask one of the first questions is, what is the author trying to say? Uh, technically, we call that the authorial intent. So uh, and whenever I've said the phrase, the, gospel, or the, the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us, that's what I'm getting at. Um, when, uh, so in this case, when Luke was writing, who was he writing to? What was the audience? Right. And, and what was his point to that audience? Um, and so uh, that's a part of the interpretive process. And so I, I don't think that Luke was... Uh, trying to lay out a parenting plan. Uh, so I, I felt like it actually could be a little you know, intellectually dishonest, you might say, to, to, to try to imp- imply that's what Luke's trying to do. Uh, but just because Luke is not trying to give us a parenting plan does not mean that we can't go to the things that he says about Joseph and Mary, the parents right. of Jesus, and learn some things from them. And so that's 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 what I do every week, uh, as an, and especially in application. But I'm doing it a little bit more in this series because I think uh, Luke is uh, assuming a whole background that people have uh, in the Old Testament, and it's a, it's a background that has been lost to many of us today. Mm-hmm. We, we don't. Sometimes we don't even read the Old Testament, let alone understand its main themes. And, you know, this whole concept that's just so huge in Scripture of God bringing Israel out of Egypt to create a people for his own. Mm-hmm. And then for him to treat them like children and call them his children and call himself their father. Those, those are powerful themes that shaped the imagination of the you know the first century Christians and before that and after, because they were so steeped in God's activities. The Psalms are all about the, the deeds of God. Well, usually, the mighty deeds of God refer to this very act of redemption, yeah. Israel being rescued out of Egypt. And we can sometimes read the mighty deeds of God and think, you know, he's, he's talking about all kinds of things, but they were, probably were primarily talking about redemption and rescue out of Egypt. Yeah. And so when you have that narrative that's shaping your imagination and shaping your interpretation of Scripture, then, you know, you're going to understand things a lot differently. And, you know, why? It, so so I, I, along those lines, I think it still fits along with the question, why is Luke keep focusing on the law and mm-hmm. them obeying? Uh, you know, when they obeyed everything required by the law, you know, when they when they uh, obeyed the commands and required by the law, when they obeyed the customs, you know, all this language that's talking yeah. about the law and its role, I think does imply that Joseph and Mary were very, very much paying attention right. to intentionally obey that those commands. Right. And, and God, the father gave them to the children of Israel and then said, pass them on. So I don't think I'm in, I'm in interpretive danger there, but right. I just wanted right. to be really clear to people that I'm not trying to misuse the text. I'm, I'm not trying to use the text for my own little 
you know, my own homiletical purposes, sermonic purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, right. Yeah, right. I, I didn't bribe Jim to do a parenting series yeah. just because I had my second child yeah. recently. You know, yeah. that's, it's, so yeah, what was I that think, money you gave me? Why it wasn't a bribe? Well, I, you know, some, so you some would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, you know, Luke's intention. I, I think he is, I think you're right, going to great lengths to show the kind of people that mm-hmm. Mary and Joseph were, Definitely. especially uh, the in in the way that they give the sacrifice at the temple, you know, and he's, he's, there's so much that we learn about Mary and Joseph just from that little note, you know, about their socioeconomic status, about yeah. their, their uh, commitment to the Lord. And so there's, this is, that's absolutely right. And what you're trying to help us see is the context that Luke is trying to bring in, which is, which is wonderful. Um, but as a nerd, I, I was like, ah, yes, authorial intent. This is important because, <laughs> 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 you know, that's well, the scripture doesn't mean whatever we want it to mean. Right, you right. Know? And so, but that's, that's not just nerd. Uh, that's the, we would like to, to believe that anybody who's serious about studying the Bible right. would recognize that. You, the first, one of the first steps is what is it trying to say, you know, to the to the original audience, right? And mm-hmm. before we jump to what does it mean, we have to ask what does it say. So, you know, a lot of people in our church are involved in some sort of inductive Bible studies methods, whether it's uh, precept studies or whether it's um, uh, uh, you know, Bible study um, cl- classes that they're in, and these three steps of of um, observation, interpretation, and application. That is the classic inductive Bible study method. Right. And so the observation and the interpretation that you're doing is about trying to figure out what does it say mm-hmm. and what does it mean. And that, that does need to start with authorial intent. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because um, ultimately, right, we, we, we trust that God inspired these authors to, to write and mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, it wasn't just, it's not just, you know, Luke's opinion that he's providing. Exactly. You know, God is, you know, they're being carried along uh, in, in that process by the Lord. And so it's important. You know, it's not, it's not arbitrary to the application. And was it this week that we, that we uh, put up 2 Timothy 3.16 on the screen? And I think it was. Um, yeah. All yeah. scripture mm-hmm. is God breathed. Right. So, yeah, yes, indeed. Yeah. And, and you br- brought that up in the context of talking about, um, how Timothy, who Paul's writing to in that that text, was taught by you know the generation mm-hmm. above him. I think it was his grandmother and that his mother and his both his mother and his grandmother Eunice and Lois. Right. Yeah. And his dad was a Greek, um, but his mother and grandmother were Jews. Exactly. Yes. And so Paul's assuming the uh, the Jewish sort of education that the exactly. mothers were provided, and so. That that sort of gets us into the next piece that I'd love to pick up, which okay. has to do with that first principle in the parenting plan. And uh, on the sort of God's plan for Israel side, I, I think you had the word Torah there. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, uh, two, two weeks ago, it was Torah. This week, I changed it to Scripture. That's right. But I, but I explained mm-hmm. in Scripture, using the word Scripture, where I, that language came from. So I put... Uh, 
you know, I broke up the Old Testament into those three divisions. Right. But I, um, I did. I don't think I put the word Torah on the screen this week. Okay, gotcha. Um, but that, that's that's something to talk about. Is you know, in in the Hebrew scriptures, we call that the Tanakh. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, this could be a, a geeky nerd thing. <laughs> T- Tanakh is an acronym. Right. And if you uh, just you know, capitalize the letter T and then the vowel A and then capitalize the letter N. So capitalize T and then N mm-hmm. and then capitalize the K. Um, that those refer to those three um, divisions. So T right. is Torah, Hebrew word Torah. K is the word kav- Kaviyam, which is Kaviyam? Ketuvim. Mm-hmm. Ketu, yeah, I got the ta. Um, Ketuvim, um, and which is the writings. And then uh, the last section is the... Nevim. Uh, that's the K. Is Ketuvim the writings or the prophets? It's uh, Torah is the law. Ketuvim, I think, is the writings, and Nevim, I think, is the prophets. I think it is. Yeah. So that's that's they would use that word Tanakh to refer to the what we would call the Old Testament. And again, like I said in the sermon, they wouldn't have called it Old Testament. They mm-hmm. would have just called it the Scriptures. But uh, they use the word Tanakh to refer to the scriptures. They use the word Torah, mm-hmm. which even though technically it just means the first five books, in usage it got referred to, you got used to being used for the whole, you know, 39 books. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we've talked about that's really 24 books. I don't know that we need to go into that detail. Yeah, it is interesting. Like if you, like there's a whole field of study when it comes to, you know, textual criticism and and looking at old you know canonization and old testament canon mm. if you're interested in that sort of stuff we talk about that in the foundations classes a little bit mm-hmm. the reason i think it's interesting and important is because the bible is very well attested as an ancient document oh when compared to other ancient documents sure and sometimes people will throw shade on the canon and be like well how do you even know you have the right books or, or how do you know that the 66 books of the Protestant canon are the correct number of books? Because uh, there's some dispute about that. And there are there are pretty good answers. And they're, yeah. they're well-documented historical answers as well. Um, so if you're interested in that, join me in the Foundations classes. <laughs> A little very, plug there. Fun. Um, but, uh, you know, of course... Uh, it, it's great to to learn sort of the, how the Hebrews referred to it. But the, the principle there is that uh, sort of similar to our discipleship process, it's good to be in the word and it's good to be, uh, you know, taking into account and incorporating the teachings of God. And so um, you, you talked about how uh, it's, you know, there's, when we hear the word law, it's maybe not super helpful for us. Yeah. Uh, and and you talked about different ways of it in incorporating the Bible as you brought it sort of into the modern day context. But mm-hmm. could you elaborate a little bit more on, because um, obviously we're working with a broader canon than, than ancient Israel was. But um, we still use the Old Testament. So, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Right. We, at least now, we, you know, we're reading through it as a church. So we're we're definitely hopefully using it now. But <laughs> how, how should we uh, incorporate even the Old Testament writings into our parenting or, mm-hmm. or what, what how should we understand the law as we're reading through it? Right. We're still in Genesis. So we haven't gotten to like the the in Deuteronomy. That's where God gives sort of the laws like the the uh 
what we typically think of as the law. Uh, but we're reading through the law right now in mm-hmm. Genesis. So how can you, can you bring us more into how can we be thinking about that even as we're reading through these stories in Genesis? Uh, and how can we incorporate that as modern day believers into parenting? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I would I would say you know, we want to start with the age, right? So mm-hmm. this is why I think the Jesus storybook is so valuable because for for people who say I don't want to read you know the the, the book of Genesis to a one year old. Okay, you know, that, that, I, that, there's no rule that you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And these story, these books that have pictures, kids are very visual. So that's a great idea. Tap into some of these these books that are faithful to Scripture. Either the, the, the books are Scripture themselves with just pictures, or they are books that are telling a narrative, kind of summarizing Scripture mm-hmm. and using pictures. Kids are visual. So I, that's what I did. We, we did, I did not read straight from Genesis in the NIV. I, we read picture books, and uh, <laughs> uh, our kids love that. And so that's, what I, that's where I would start with, people, with, with yeah. kids. And, and you know, and to, to the person who says, you know, well, I, I shouldn't, shouldn't I wait until the kids can understand? Well, this is the whole point, actually, is that that this is you're you're teaching kids how to understand at the same, you know, how to understand language at the same time you're teaching them the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So you know, last night in our life group, we a family in our life group has a as a baby. And uh, she's starting to talk now. And, you know, what she's doing is she's mimicking what a mom and dad are doing. So that's how she's learning to talk. If if mom and dad don't talk to the kid, the kid won't talk. They'll only talk because they're mirroring, they're mimicking. And so... So instead of saying, oh, aren't you so cute all the time, why not actually shape the imagination of this child from the early ages when their brains are exploding with new learning? I mean, yeah. the, the studies of how fast babies learn are absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. This is why, you know, you can if you want to teach your kid languages, teach them when they're when they're little, yeah. because these brains are just so like sponges and they're they're learning so so much, so fast. And, you know, so the idea of, of implanting scripture as the formative words and the formative sounds yeah. is not only good, you know, psychology, it's great theology. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's actually a pretty exciting thing that, that we can do. So, you know, the, the, the Hebrews were brilliant. I'm going to teach the alphabet to my children. What a, what a great idea. You know, now they probably didn't have a whole slew of library books to draw from, you know, <laughs> and so they're not as tempted to read, you know, Winnie the Pooh and sure, Peter sure. Pan. Um, they only had the scriptures, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that's that's the whole point of this series is that we're trying to f- nurture God-centered children. And yeah. so we do have scripture. We do have picture books. We do have um, other kinds of resources that we can use to to read to our children. And I just can't encourage that enough. Mm. And then, you know, um, as the kid does get older, then we can start reading. You know, again, like you mentioned, our church-wide devotions, right now we're reading through the narrative of the um, sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, that, those generations there. Yep. And 
I absolutely find it fascinating, even though I know it inside out and I've read it again and again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told you I was reading uh, either yesterday or the day before, and I, I, I kept reading beyond. You know, I, <laughs> I, instead of just reading the scripture just for today, the chapter or chapter and a half, I wanted to read into the next couple of chapters. Yeah. Even though I know the story, I want to hear it again. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be reminded of it. It's, it's great literature. Yeah. It's great drama. You know, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so. Uh, there's really no reason to skip over that. Read that. Yeah. Read that it's to so your children. F- and it's so funny because when we were talking about going through the Old Testament this year, there was there was some, and I think some valid concern about, well, is it going to be too long? And here you and I are both accidentally reading like <laughs> two or three days at a time, which yeah. is, I was listening to it on audiobook. Yeah, I, I probably won't do that when we get into numbers and to parts of the Levitical code. Yeah. I'll probably just read the portion portion for the day sure and then jump to the psalm and what's funny is so like the jesus storybook bible they do a great job of giving you the narrative of scripture but they don't include leviticus (laughs) you know they like they don't you know because they're they're it's more story oriented and so they're telling the story of the bible and they include mentions to you know, the law and in the covenants and things like that, but, but not, they don't like, there's not a children's version of, you know, but, I mean, but you know, <laughs> Leviticus is, we, we're throwing a little bit of proverbial shade on that, but Leviticus is very, very significant. It's not mm-hmm. just a listing of a bunch of laws. You know, Leviticus was written in a time where, you know, there was all these small G gods yep. out there and, and you never know where you stood with these gods. They were very, very capricious and, yeah. um, and the, the way people described them. And so there's all this fear about, you know, how many gods are there? How do I appease them? Hmm. What are they going to do? And, you know, just a lot of fear-based living. And in, in that environment comes uh, here's a God who wants to know you. Mm-hmm. Here's a God who invites you, who's revealing himself to you and invites yeah. you into a, a relationship with this holy God. And, and then also gives you rear, a very clear way. This is how you have right standing with God. You do these sacrifices, you obey these laws, and you are, are living in a relationship with God. And so there's not... You know, it's it, it's wonderful. It, mm-hmm. it, if you were getting the book of Leviticus four thousand years ago, you're like finally clarity yeah. about the gods. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's not there's not gods. There's one God, and this God is a holy God. So that gets repeated again and again in Leviticus. And this God has revealed himself. This is amazing. Yeah. And this God who has revealed himself, who is holy, invites me in the relationship and says, "This is how you can. You know, I'm taking care of your sin. You know, this sacrifice." See, this is the way they would have read it, yeah. and this would have been life-giving. Right. And it's like, wow, I love Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. And see, we don't think about Leviticus like that, so we don't think it's a powerful book. Right. I mean, it's yeah, it is in almost every sense of the word foreign to us. Yeah. Right? It's a totally different culture, totally different time. And this is one of the benefits of doing cultural studies mm-hmm. is those sorts of insights. Yeah. I, so I, Leviticus yeah. comes alive, you know, when you, when oh, you, yeah. when, when it was released, you know, in the theaters, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when it was released, yeah. you know, and, and started getting out, it, it was a, a, a word of salvation and revelation and mm-hmm. life to the people. Yeah. I, I remember learning about the sacrificial system itself and there's a, there's a, 
depth to it. And there's a there are like when you think about it happening on the ground, there are certain realities that you realize that aren't self-evident or that weren't to me when I when I was first interacting mm -hmm. with the concept. For, for instance, there are a lot of the offerings, right? We think about, you know, you, you kill the animal, you burn it as an offering to the Lord. But then that like the meat, it doesn't necessarily go to waste it oh, gets no. eaten and and so well, the priests get the best part you know and then they jam their fork in there and grab what they want you know whatever they get with the first fork is theirs you yep. know yeah. and then <laughs> and then depending on i think it, i don't I, I can't remember what kind of offering it is but there's a certain kind of offering where you offer it like in the community and there's yeah. there's a communal element to it and oh. it's almost it's almost more like a like a community barbecue that we oh, yeah. would have as opposed to like going to a worship service. And so not only is God revealing himself and revealing how he can have a relationship with you, but he's also interested in building community mm -hmm. and bringing people to the table together. So there's yes, definitely, yeah, the Leviticus is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, when you start to read it, like someone who, who would have been receiving it at the time. Right. Um, Understand it in its original context. Yeah. yeah. Now we're back at authorial intent, yeah. I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, and, and so I was, I was, let me finish. I was talking about sure, sure. Uh, the answer to your question about how, you know, how do we use the Bible to read to our children? Right. So, you know, after picture books that are theologically accurate, and by the way, this Sunday, I'm going to mention a book called uh, a series out of a, a set called Theology. And you break yeah. that up, theology and baby. And so a woman named Jenny Allen has created this whole series. That I, I, I've read through them. They're wonderful. And it, uh, it's a series of colorful books that, you can, that are children's books that you can read to your children. And you are actually teaching them theology. So they're not just um, stories. They're... There are stories that are paying attention to the theological intent, which is important because the, the the narrative in the Bible is not just good literature. It's theological in intent. We're learning about the nature of God. Yeah. You know, Genesis, the, the, the Genesis creation narratives, those are about the, the who is God. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're deeply theological in nature. They're not just how did it, where did our world come from? Where did people come from? We're learning about the nature of God. Right. And so Jenny Allen uh, of If Table fame, by the way, that's the same Jenny Allen. Um, also, a great her her book "Get Out of Your Head" is just a really really good book. Mm. Um, but her um, her intention to to take theology and bring it to the simplest, you know, of all ways of explaining to to infants and children, mm. I think is so beautiful and so admirable. I I love so much that she's doing that, yeah, because. As we sometimes say, everybody has a theology. It's, it's this idea that, you know, well, you know, I know Clay's really, in, he's a theological geek. You know, he's really into theology. Okay, Clay's into theology, but he, that doesn't mean that, that other people who aren't don't have a theology. Right. They do. Everybody has a view of God. He doesn't exist, or I'm, you can't know him, or he's this way or that mm -hmm. way. That's a theology. 
Right. You have you have opinions and beliefs about God, and those opinions and beliefs shape the way you live your life. Mm-hmm. So not only is everybody a theologian, everybody's theology shapes the way they they live. Right. So why not? If that's since that's true, why not be intentional about shaping our children's theology mm-hmm. while they're learning to talk, while they're learning to form words, and while they're learning to you know what concepts are. I just think this is brilliant. And yeah. I, and I, this is the part, the first parts of raising your children to be God-centered. It starts from, from the earliest days. Infancy, like Paul said to Timothy. Yeah. From infancy, you knew the scriptures. Yeah. I love that verse. I love that verse. <laughs> As you're talking, I'm remembering some study I did about different theories about raising uh, children within the church. Mm-hmm. Because for a long time the the way to raise children was you 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 need to tell that child that they are like a sinner and so yeah. you know they, they would use these alliterative poems for children like you know i am a worm and you know i'm a oh sinful my. worm like think like horrible oh for, but the idea was they are sinners but that's not the first word they need to hear right well, and, and so the, the idea was is you, second they need to know the reality of their need for salvation right. so that as they come to understanding they will respond to that and come to come yeah. to christ and then this whole new way of thinking came along where it was like no your your child should never remember a time when they weren't walking with jesus mm. it's just this different mm-hmm. way of you know, introducing Christ to children, mm-hmm. um, it, this more uh, nurturing kind of uh, yeah. way of doing things. But I, you know, I can see in either case people asking, okay, so if you're starting so young, you know, where is the, you know, where's the room for allowing the child to decide, or you know, where do you force that sort of instruction onto a child versus exposing or versus you know making available to them, mm-hmm. and how do you walk? Yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking through that as you're you're talking. Yeah, that's that's such an important question today. You know, sometimes you hear people talk and you begin to wonder... What? How do you define what a parent is? Mm-hmm. Is a parent merely the person in the home that provides food and shelter? Yeah, because that's what it sounds like. You know, uh, you know, you shouldn't expose your children to you know theological concepts. Let them make up their own mind. What? What, what, what is your understanding of what a parent is? You know, right. a, a parent is supposed to educate their child. And a parent is supposed to create an environment that is conducive to learning and to teach. A parent is a teacher. It's the, it's just, it's your first, they're your first teacher. And so we have this wholesale abdication of the role of parenting so that people, so kids can make up their own mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what you're doing is you're advocating to, to the culture around you to be the ones that shape your child's imagination and minds. And you're advocating your God-given right and authority and, and, and purpose. God put you on this earth as a parent to teach your children. He gave you children so you would teach them. So that's a pretty big deal to abdicate that, to just say, well, let the world shape them so my kids can make up their own minds. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a book book by Charles Swindoll. It's an old book called, I think it's called Home Where Life Makes Up Its Mind. And that's such a great title, Home Where Life Makes Up Its Mind, because it's, it's, that's exactly what we're talking about here. 
um, you, know, you are going to have opinions. They're going to be, they're going to come from somewhere. They don't come from a vacuum. Right. So, you know, Paul says in Romans 12, don't let the world, sh- you know, shape you and conform you into its mold. Instead, be transformed by the word of God, you know, the renewing of your mind. So, so, um, you know, maybe we need to redefine like Vince Lombardi, you know, the famous coach, uh, saying, or he went to his players and held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Let's start from beginning, you know, because <laughs> you guys don't know how to play this game. Maybe we need to start with the beginning and define what is a parent sure. because yeah. they're not just a provider of shelter and food. They are yeah. you know, your first teacher. They are nurturer. They are the ones that are help that have been assigned by God to help you feel safe in the world mm. and to begin to make order out of the world. Yeah, um, it's. Oof. I totally agree. I think I, I can commit, well, not commiserate, but I can um, maybe empathize a little bit with some of that reaction because I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, and this is a really popular trend today. So I'm, and I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just trying to recognize mm-hmm. people feel whether they're right or not, like they have been, you know, people who were raised in the church feel a certain way about how they were raised and feel mm-hmm. like there there was not openness and feel like they you know the the principles that were instilled caused shame or mm-hmm. caused harm mm-hmm. or they're they're trying to undo and trying to um heal from their upbringing and so sometimes i hear the response of you know when people say let the kid make their own decision right and this is within a certain realm of reason that, you know, but I, I, and what I hear in them is I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to make any decisions when I was being raised. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to that, but I still agree with you. I I think to say that we're going to let the kid make their own decision is to ignore the fact that there are discipling influences that have an agenda <laughs> that well, will not this, give them that opportunity. Well, and this all absolutely is needs to be couched in. I'm going to preach a sermon in a couple of weeks about parenting stages. Yeah, and uh, there is absolutely a time in a child's life where mom and dad need to let you make decisions mm-hmm. and that needs to be taught how to make decisions and then begin to respect which seems funny for some people to say this, but but you need to respect the that God is wired children, people. I'm sorry, to make decisions. Mm-hmm. We're, we have wills, we have minds, and we're supposed to use them. So, so you know, we're not brainwashing children, and we're not creating robots. We're actually supposed to teach them how to think. Mm-hmm. So you you absolutely should allow your children to make decisions and teach them how to make decisions and respect their decisions. But you do that at age appropriate times right and to to give them nothing the first five years and then say well i want them to make up their own mind that's you know that's wrong that's but to on the second hand to um to to think for them and to tell them you're not supposed to think you just do what i say kind of Mm -hmm. a thing that's equally equally abusive yeah so that you know you have to do these things at the right times um, and that whole st- stage of parenting is just, just so, so important. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and of course, they also you also implied, uh, at least this is what I heard, you you implied some pretty bad parenting in that they're misrepresenting God because right. God is not a judgmental, mean God who is demanding all this rule following, you know. Um, so we we have to avoid the, the the extremes of the way people have parented and misrepresented God. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I want to rebel against that. You know. Yeah. It's um, so. Yeah. It's 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 complex. I mean, I, I think this conversation is even echoed in some respects in the education world at large. Like you know, you know how how do we you know, help students cr- think critically and you have the, like the whole discovery learning school, which is mm-hmm. all about, you know, it's not that that's wrong, but it's, it's all about letting children discover mm-hmm. on their own. And that's a reaction to people saying, all you, you know, you're just indoctrinating kids and you're just, uh, you know, trying to, you know, push your agenda, things like that. So it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting for me to, to think through because I'm wrestling personally with, my responsibility as a parent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh and the fact that i'm not perfect <laughs> you know sure. and so and neither is your children yeah neither are your children um yeah it, this this whole role of the parent is so so huge and i can't wait to get to this parenting stages thing where we talk about mm. you know that that first role that first stage is of nurturing you know that you are you're you're training you are actually training that infant from day one, and what are you training them to to believe? You know, so yeah. this whole idea that you never pick up a screaming child. Well, wait, wait a minute. How old is that child? You know, mm-hmm. if it's an infant, what they're looking for is security. And if they scream for hours on end and there's no one to pick them up, they grow up in a world of I'm not secure. No one, there's there's nobody for me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm on my own. That's not the message you want to send to a two-week-old, you know. So, but you know, if, if a two-year-old is screaming, let them scream, you know, because <laughs> we don't hear screaming. So, you know, th- this is so important that parents understand these stages are absolutely critical. You must respond to an, an infant screaming, but you must not respond to a two-year-old screaming right. there are two different screams one is a temper tantrum uh, out of self-centeredness and one of them is cry- crying for help Where, who's here am i all by myself in this world and mm. and so how will that child ever learn you are loved you are secure this is a safe place you're okay that the failure to learn that haunts people their whole life mm. You know, I know adults who, who, who are struggling today because they never learned that, that the world is a secure place, that there's a God who exists, mm. who loves me, and I'm safe in his arms. And so their whole life, they're trying to control everybody else and trying to control their environment because they're, they feel so insecure. Oh, it's just like that's the role of parents to teach to create that security, you know. Yeah. So, so staging is, is stage of parenting is everything. Um, Absolutely, in, yeah. When, in these things, and one thing just to sort of get back to the idea of incorporating scripture and and the teaching of God, um, and also with the idea of being age appropriate. The I, I've been recently. Um, th- that book about brain science that I've, I've referenced a couple times on the mm-hmm. podcast, the mm-hmm. other half of church, 
it talks about the role of singing uh, in mm. the development of the brain mm-hmm. and how Huge. singing to one another, even as adults, mm-hmm. can be a very healing process. Yeah. But especially with young children, it's good for so many reasons. Oh. And there are songs that uh, just are the words of you know, the word of God. It's the Bible yeah. put to music. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this Sunday. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, then I'll, yeah. I'll leave it for that. Yeah. But um, that, that can be another great way of incorporating scripture is through music. Wonderful way. Um, and it's a time honored way. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, it it also is an edge is a you know pedagogical tool. So you know, how did you learn you know the alphabet? Probably by a song. Yep. How did you learn the, the presidents of the United States? Probably with a song. Mm-hmm. How did you learn verses? Probably with a, you know some of them by with a song. So people recognize that that it's an educational tool, and you know, so the church was probably you know on the cutting edge of discovering that because that dude, that's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about yes yeah, Ephesians 5 you know so yeah so as so as your as your kids grow you know find ways to engage them with scripture you know you know like you know children are so inquisitive that's the way they naturally come out of the womb and that that is the biggest thing that helps a, a, a human being learn is the inquisitive nature that God has wired us with so Play to that, because yeah. when we teach adults how to study the Bible, we're actually trying to get them to be inquisitive. Mm-hmm. And I read a book one time that talked about how uh, parenting, our educational system, and the world basically stop curiosity out of children. Oh wow! We stomp the wonder out, and and this book or this paper I was reading was was encouraging parents you know to nurture wonder you know and and stoke wonder and celebrate inquisitiveness and Mm -hmm. curiosity and so you know i say use this in the and when kids are reading the bible you know ask them questions um teach them to ask questions celebrate their questions you know never ever ever ridicule a question a child asks you're nurturing an inquisitiveness and if a child can keep and mature and develop their inquisitiveness throughout their childhood there are studies that show that that kid is going to do much better intellectually and better in school better in life because that is a sign of intelligence Mm. is the ability to ask the right kind of questions you know no one's ever learned anything in the history of the world um, without asking questions (laughs) and yet so many people don't know how to ask questions Mm. or they've been told shut shut up you know be quiet don't ask that question that's a stupid question or you know you're not allowed to ask questions Mm. no let's not do that let's let's nurture and and let's um, encourage inquisitiveness. And, and I, I know that some children ask questions nonstop and it drives you crazy. But <laughs> but if your mindset is, I want to nurture that, that'll help you be more patient. Yeah. And um, you're here to serve that child's you know, development and not to just get your own agendas done. Yes. Be, yeah. be quiet. Stop asking me questions. I got work to do. You know? Yeah. I Man. So, so yeah, so, so encourage your kids to ask questions, um, ask them, um, so what do you think about when you read this, honey, or when I read this to you, uh, mm-hmm. teach your kids how to read by reading the Bible. 
Um, now, obviously, you don't want to teach them how to read by reading the book of Judges. <laughs> As, uh, uh, but, you know, get us a, an, a, an easier translation and read some of the narratives that we're reading right now in Genesis. These stories. Mm-hmm. The sto- you know, we're going to get eventually quick, quick here to the story of Joseph. What an incredible drama that is. Yeah. You know, teach your kids how to read by reading, you know, a simple translation of the story of Joseph. Mm-hmm. You know, why should that be? Why can't that be the book that they learn how to read instead of some Disney princess? You yeah. know, <laughs> I, I remember as well. My so growing up, I don't remember when this began, probably before. I, I have no idea, but my parents would put on Mr. Henry tapes mm-hmm. when we would go to bed. And I think I've mentioned that on the mm-hmm. on the podcast before, but uh right now media is an incredible resource yeah. and, and you know there's a whole separate conversation about screen time but tabling that yeah, conversation those resources now, are out there like you know yeah and there's like never before there's a you know one veggie tales i mean it's mm-hmm. fantastic yes you know getting people familiar with the stories of the bible familiar yep. with the the god of the bible um, and so there's there's all kinds of different ways that are wait, age appropriate. Wait, wait a minute, you, that's what you're saying. The point of VeggieTales. I thought VeggieTales was all about learning the, your vegetables. You're saying it's about the Bible. Well, uh, yes, huh. I am. I now vegetables that. are part of it, but all those videos I watched with my children that when I was a young father, you would have thought I would have gotten that message. <laughs> I thought it was learning the vegetables with your children. Ah. No, 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 no. It's uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> I wonder sometimes, like people who who didn't grow up in the church, do they know what Veggie Tales is? Because there's like core memories for me. Yeah. Like all of my childhood nightmares had to do with Veggie Tales characters. <laughs> I, yeah, man, that's maybe a story for another time. But anyhow, so so that's sort of that that first concept, that first point mm-hmm. in you're trying to bridge the gap between how God was parenting Israel and how, how we want to learn from that. And, yeah. And use scripture well. to do that. Um, but there's another there's another piece I wanted to pick up, even just okay. briefly, and that has to do with this this point about providing loving and appropriate discipline. Okay. That, that was a whole point in mm-hmm. that plan. Yeah, um, two, I think. And I know you didn't get super in depth in the sermon, partly because uh, you know obviously you had a long way to go. <laughs> so can you give us a little bit more depth now? Uh, you talked about how God disciplines the you know those that He loves, and how that's a that's something that we see God doing. But mm-hmm. what does that look like in modern application? Wow, that's a that's a huge and loaded question. Um, of course, again, this is all about age appropriate. So when we say appropriate, one of the first things we we need to modify is uh, based upon their age. Right. You know? So um, uh, the, the, the idea of discipline is, as I tried to say in this sermon, if you think about discipline more from the, the viewpoint of an athlete that's training mm-hmm. to perform a, an, a, an exercise or a race or a sporting activity, you know, you're training yourself to, to be able to perform this at an excellent level. That's a, a, a much better uh, concept of the role of discipline than what m- many people think of when they hear the word discipline. Mm-hmm. They think, you know, spanking or they think punishment or they think, you know, you did something wrong. Right. 
And there is a role for correction. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's one of the roles of parents. But I don't want people to think of discipline primarily as punishment or, um, you know, harming or something like that. that, that mm-hmm. It really distorts everything yeah. when you're trying to understand how the Bible pictures the role of discipline. Yeah, I think that's so good because when you when you put it in the context of an athlete training, uh, you know, me missing a shot in basketball or me messing up the offense a little bit, is that a mistake? I mean, yeah, kind of. Right. And uh, you know, I mean, if it's the sixth time that I've messed up the offense, then maybe I'll run sprints. But the, those aren't mistakes typically that we're going to be punished for. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you. I, I'm going to train harder to try to get better. It, it just totally yeah. changes the the. You know, training is not something that you do only when you're messing up. Right. Training is something that you do. It's just an approach to that relationship yeah. and, and because you have a goal in mind. Uh, and so that's that's super helpful even for me to yeah. reframe. You know, a lot of discipline is repetition of the right thing. You know, so mm. I mean, you refer to basketball. I used to be a basketball coach and I would, would create these training exercises for kids. And, you know, dribbling exercises, dribble the right way and over and over and over. And so you're, you're creating muscle memory, you're yeah. creating neurological memories. And so that as that body is dribbling, the, you know, the hand is dribbling. And as you're passing, you, you do that over and over and over again to that. That's part of what training is. I mean, it, it never ceases to amaze me how they'll sometimes show, especially a guy like Stephen Curry, you know, best shooting guard in history one of the amazing dribblers and at, at, at the top of his game, he is the best in the world at what he does. He still practices dribbling <laughs> before every game yeah. and passing and shooting. He, these are the basics. These are the fundamentals. These are the first things that he learned as a punk kid. And here he is the top of the world and he's still practicing those fundamental things. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of training. He's still training. And so um, that it helps us see the, the power of this repetition of the positive things. So just like it's not only negative, um, it's, it's this picture of, you know, I'm training for a goal. It also includes this idea of positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. So it, we're disciplining our kids when we encourage them and we reinforce those positive things. Very few parents think of that. Yeah. As discipline, they only think of discipline as correcting a wrong move. And so I, I want people to get in their brains, what is the, what is, what do we mean by yeah. the concept? And once yeah. we do that, then we can start parsing down into the, 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 the pieces that make up the overall picture of what discipline is. And I think this may be a healing thing too for, for people's relationship with the Lord. Remind me, what's the passage where it says, you know, endure suffering as discipline? Hebrews 12. Yeah. yeah you brought it up in your sermon. I, I think I did. Yes, Hebrews twelve verses five and six. You know, there's, there's like twelve verses in in Hebrews twelve mm-hmm. that are loaded with this word discipline and this concept. And some of them are quotes from the book of Proverbs, sure. and but others are you know, elaboration on that the writer is giving. But what I love about this perspective is it's so easy for us to interpret hard things as the result of our mistakes. Yeah, you're being punished. But yeah. that not so, right? Exactly. You know, and, and so when we're enduring suffering as discipline, mm-hmm. that's Paul, you know, or the author of Hebrews is not saying 
you know, God is punishing you for something that you've done wrong. Mm-hmm. What he is saying is God is trying to train you in all things, yes. even through yeah. these but, difficult things. The, the, the secret here is to take the Hebrews 12 and interpret it with James 1, verses 2 through what, 4, mm. where he talks about enduring hardship, enduring yeah. trials, which builds perseverance. There's the picture of training right yes. there. Yeah. So to interpret these two passages together helps us see the bigger picture of the value of endurance and training and what it's producing, right. perseverance, maturity, wisdom, all things we want, <laughs> yeah. but they come through a training process, right. which may be painful. Mm-hmm. And might be hardship, but that's, you know, is there pain in training? Yes, there is pain. You know, right. every, every world-class athlete will tell you, I did not get here without pain. <laughs> Impossible. Yeah. Impossible. You know, even the greatest, nat- like, you know, Usain Bolt, you know, he's a naturally amazing runner, but he's still trained to the point of, of pain or pushing the muscle. You know, when you, when you lift weights... It doesn't do you any good to lift weight if you don't lift it to the point of literally ripping the muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, physiologically, anatomically, is that right? You know, by the, talking about the anatomy of the physical right, body, right, right, that right. muscle needs to be ripped. And the healing of that rip then builds bigger, stronger muscles. You, you can't do that if you don't rip. You know, right. So, you know, no, what's, what's the old saying? No pain, no gain. You know, that, that comes from re- real life. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, we're certainly not redefining discipline to say there is no pain. We're just saying, let's not water or narrow down discipline to it's only about pain. Or, or pain is the result of mistakes. Or, right. Yeah. Right. Now th- that said, children do make mistakes. We do fail and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are consequences of those mistakes, both natural and, you know, in the, in the case of parenting, uh, potentially uh, as a part of that training, introducing consequences. Yeah. And, and that's something that there's... Well, I, think, I might even question that. Sure, um, sure. Uh, you know, we were very, Andrew and I, my wife and I were very, very careful. We never, ever disciplined our kids for making mistakes. They, mm. they dropped something. Yeah. They yeah, forgot yeah, yeah. something. They broke something. You know, say you don't. I don't ever discipline, uh, and sometimes I didn't even correct. They made a mistake. You know, yeah. they, they know they made a mistake. They feel bad about it. So instead of correcting, sometimes we would say, "That's okay, honey. That's how you learn." Mm. That's a whole different way yeah. of dealing with mistakes. You mean mistakes are okay? You're exactly right. They're okay because that's how you learn. Mm. And you know, fast forward to adults. Fast forward to high school. You know. You know, if I am frozen up because I can't make a mistake, I'd get paralysis. But yeah. if, if I can, am I allowed to make mistakes? That's how, that's going to release me to learn, to be mm. open, you know? So, so no, I, we, we never corrected, uh, well, I shouldn't say never. We hardly ever corrected for mistakes. We always try to encourage. Um, yeah, that's a great uh, clarification. Always. Yeah. And so, so then maybe, uh, in, in the case of disobedience. Yes. So, so, and this is the reason I want to bring this up is because this is a somewhat ongoing conversation within Christian circles about how do you respond to the disobedience of children. So could you bring us into that conversation a little bit? Um, uh, if we have time, it's uh, (laughs) how much time we have left. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, several things here again, going back to our, 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 your early days as parents, 
we trained our children to know when was the most severe you know, correction going to come? When was the most severe discipline going to come? So, for instance, our children knew, uh, we, we, we spanked in our day. And so our children knew, you never get spanked for making mistakes. You didn't even get corrected. You never mis- got spanked for um, arguing. A lot of parents will spank a child for arguing. Oh, you know, you're being rebellious. Well, wait a minute. Is uh, is it, or are they just trying to formulate? Are they trying to learn how to articulate? Are they learning how to to identify that they're different from mom and dad? You know, yeah. I'm getting my own voice. Uh, you know, don't, don't never, never spank a child for that. Mm-hmm. So our children learned that you only got spanked for one thing: a defiant rebellion. And and they know that. So we would say, you know, you know, how, why do you get spanked in our family for defiant rebellion? So when I purposely, as a child, when I purposely know mom and dad have said this, and I will not do it, and it's not just I, I'm thinking about not doing it. It's not. It's I am defiantly rebelling against authority, and I know what I'm doing. That's the only reason you got spanked in our family. And now, now some people would say spanking is bad, it's wrong. I think it all depends on how you do it. And it starts with you never spank a kid f- for these small things. And I don't think arguing is a small thing. Now, can you argue with the defiant and rebellion? Absolutely. And then that needs to be addressed. But I wouldn't address it with a spanking. I would address it with... Let me tell you why you're going to get spanked, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because this is the kind of attitude that is going to hurt you. It's not healthy for you. You know, you're you know, you're allowed to disagree in this family. You know, you're allowed to have your own opinion, but you're defying daddy right now. You're defying mom and you're being, you know, defiant and rebellious. And that is something that's not good for you. And so we're going to deal with that. And so we talked about that and you never spank a child without talking about it in great length and them understanding why this is going to happen. And it's never done out of emotion. You know, it's never done uh, quickly. So, you know, this quick smacking a kid on the butt because they won't do what you said. I, I disagree with that. I think that's yeah. misusing the force, misusing spanking. Uh, so, you know, I rarely did it, but we, and we only did it with in, in the context of lots of discussion, lots of affection, mm. tons of affection, and, and then a lot of holding and touching and taking time afterwards. So it took a long time to spank. <laughs> Uh, but to me, you, yeah. you rarely do it, and you do it in that context, and mm-hmm. it's, it's formative. It's shaping. It's helping. But the, you know, I'm frustrated with you. I'm tired of you. Bang, spank, you know, that just knee jerk. That, that is so unhelpful, sometimes downright abusive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we're not even talking about the, the spankings that are, you know, so hard that they're abusive. Yeah. I think... I think smacking a kid around is abusive. That, there's mm-hmm. no place for that. You know? yeah. So sometimes people caricature spanking in these ways that it makes it sound like you're slapping kids around. And surely we've seen it in movies. We, we know that kids get smacked around. But every time we see that, we should grieve. We should reject that. That is so yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's that we can talk a lot more about that. Sure, and, sure. Uh, but and, and, and even what I just even though all that I just said, there may be people who disagree with it, who would sure. say under no circumstances do you ever spank a child? OK. You know, I, I mean, 
I, I, I'd like to know, you know, what your parenting philosophy is, but I, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't flat out disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, think through what you're, yeah. what you're doing. How well do you know your child? This, this also has to do with the child. Yes. You know, there are some children you should never spank. They're so uh, fragile, you know, in, in their spirit. And, you know, they're, they're just the way they're wired. That's just too much. Mm. You know, there's other kids <laughs> that are so strong willed and so <laughs> resilient. You know, they're, they're just a different kind of kid. And you need to have a different sort of training and nurturing and decide mm. and disim- <clears throat> disciplining for that kid. Yeah. And again, this, you know, I'm going to cover this later on in the series. This, right. You know, these kind of things, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's super helpful. If, if people want, um, more tools or to get into that more because, you know, scripture is not silent on this idea, but it's, it's also not, um, you know, people don't always agree on what scripture does say about, you know, this sort of niche within training. So what's, you know, are there sort you know, uh, resources that you might point people toward if they want to learn more? Um, yeah, um, you know, I think, uh, the, the book by Tim Kimmel, Grace Based Parenting is a great book. Yeah. Um, you probably need to know that that book was written and that's a whole movement that is written out of a reaction to a very, very popular book in Christian circles decades ago called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And it's uh, uh, Ted Tripp's book was everybody used it for a long, long time in mm. Christian circles, uh, and it is wonderful for teaching for teaching grace. Oddly enough, huh. it's 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 wonderful for instilling the concept of grace and recognizing that needs to be taught in childhood. It's wonderful for teaching the gospel to your children. I mean, I, I think that's the first parenting book I ever read that talked about parenting is the best place to preach the gospel hmm. and model the gospel. But I think Ted Tripp is too spank happy. Um, uh, again, you know, I you just heard me say that I would spank my children sometimes. Uh, but he, it felt to me like he spanked for every little thing. Mm. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's, <laughs> it's odd, <clears throat> this phenomenal book about teaching the gospel and the grace to your children that in those days you hardly saw anywhere else. And yet I think a little bit too spank happy. So if, I think the book is worth reading if with that caveat in mind. Sure, sure. Um, but again, Grace-Based Parenting by Tim Kimmel was written in response to that. And he went to the other extreme and said, you know, under no circumstances should you spank. Gotcha. So I think, you know, you, sh- you should read both of these. Sure. Uh, Ted Tripp's brother, Paul David Tripp, wrote a phenomenal book just called Parenting that I, I highly recommend. Um, and so you know, I recommend anything that Paul David Tripp wrote. Um, are you know, do you know his name? Uh, I don't. Yeah. Well, oh. So I've heard of it, but I've not interacted with his work. Yeah, it's fantastic. So that's uh, great. And I'll, I'll link all these in the notes for people if, if you're interested in checking it out. Yeah. Um, boy, I, let me just you know, think of some more books about great books about parenting. Um, I, I, I feel bad that I'm not thinking of some right now because I, I don't want to throw shade on those books by not mentioning them, you know, because because <laughs> you know, they didn't come to mind. They must not be that good. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, uh, most books by Kevin Lehman, L-E-M-A-N, 
are, on parenting are great. Um, he, he's written a lot of books on parenting. Um, um, John Rosemond, um, Rose, M-O-N-D, Rosemond, is um, older books. Um, are, but oh, oh, here's a great book. It's a book written by a lady who used to attend our church, and her husband, whose name was Bill Williams, was on staff for many years. Okay. Linda Williams. She, oh. is, she attended this church for years, and she's a, she was a school teacher, an award-winning school teacher. She was amazing, and she's since moved um, after Bill died. And uh, but they were a part of Open Door for decades, huh. just a fixture around this church. Just godly, wonderful people. And she wrote a book with her daughter Ann Wiggins. Um, so Linda Williams and Ann Wiggins called "Parenting from the Heights," a fantastic book <laughs> that needs so people need to read that today so badly because parenting has gotten so permissive and so. Mm. Um, confused and her book is just loaded with great wisdom Mm. and you know she was just just you know amazing so yeah that's that's one of my top books i recommend that's awesome uh you know we also talked about um reading to your children um and i in fact i i should do this in the sermon because i don't know how many people listen to this podcast but there's a book called honey for your child's soul Hmm. that written by a friend of my mother uh, her name is Gladys Hunt, um, Gladys Hunt, um, and she's written a ton of Bible studies that were really popular 20 years ago. She's a public, a very famous author with uh, InterVarsity Press, and uh, she wrote a book that has gone through so many reprintings and so many editions, and now her son has created the most recent edition, and it's a collection of books to read your children, hmm. Christian and secular. And uh, so it's it's just, and I love the title, Honey for Your Child's Soul. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, be that parent that's reading to your kids. Now, we've only talked about reading Bible and reading Christian books, but by all means, that, that's not the only books you should read your children. Sure. Um, so, you know, this book gives you, is a wonderful resource, a treasure trove of great books to read your children as they grow older and age appropriate. That's awesome. So, yeah, so... Um, yeah, super, super stuff. Cool, cool. Well, um, as we turn sort of the final corner here, uh, getting ready to wrap up, um, you you closed the service uh, on on Sunday talking about blessing, mm. and uh, yeah. I, I don't know that we have tons of time to get into it, but can we can can you close by sharing with us some examples of blessings that you love mm. to to pray over people uh, in different scenarios or or generally yeah. uh, and, and then maybe close by praying a blessing over sure. the over the listener well i i can't do part of it one, one of the one of the things that's so powerful in the old testament uh, and by the way, this comes out of John Trent's book. I mentioned it in the first service. I didn't mention it in the second service. Okay. Uh, it's actually Gary Smalley and John Trent wrote a book called The Blessing. And um, um, we're, we're, we might have Greg Smalley as a speaker at our Church for a Parenting conference this sometime this year. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so that's the son of Gary Smalley. And um, 
And so Gary and John, who were, you know, uh, colleagues for many, many years, they did this great study. And this is the book, The Blessing, this tremendous study on the nature of blessing, especially from the Old Testament, but not only mm-hmm. the, the Old Testament. And they, oh boy, if I can remember, they um, created like a four-step or four components to a biblical blessing. And it starts with meaningful touch. Oh, wow. So I can't do that. You know, I can put my hand on the mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can put my hand on you. Uh, but it's, it's, it's this idea of the hand and the hand on the head, the hand on the shoulder, mm. um, and the, 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 the powerful of that meaningful touch. Mm. And then, um, you know, the, 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 the words that, you know, I wonder if I can find that quickly. Because um, it's it's so good, you, know, you can. Um, yeah, here it is. The second thing is spoken words. So, you know, I think especially guys, um, and I think I think you know your generation of parenting uh, and and young men is leaving behind the quiet man, the quiet mm. father, the the quiet husband, and. Um, you know, I don't know what, why for so many generations the men were silent, you know, but it goes all the way back to Genesis, you know, when the serpent tempted Eve, then she gave to her husband who was with her, mm-hmm. but silent. Yeah. You know, the silence of Adam, a great book by Larry Crabb, by the way. Huh. Um, so, uh, so, you know, don't just lay your hands on them and or don't just say, good job, son. You know, no, lay your hands on them and then. Choose your words. Say them out loud. Let the child hear those words. So the spoken words. And then the the third idea is you're using language to express high value. So that that child feels lifted. They feel valued. They feel, Mm. wow, I'm I'm good. I'm important. I'm, I'm significant. And, you know, so many times, especially dads, but moms too, moms can be vicious in this way. So it's not just dads, but the things we say to our children Mm. when we're angry, when we're impatient, when we're frustrated, those words are like, you know, poison darts that stick in their soul and just keep that poison just, you know, pouring into them. So words are powerful. You know, the book of James, which we're we're talking about in pastor's class, says that the power of life and death is in, you know, is in the tongue. And so with our word, with our tongues, we lift and praise. And with our tongues, we destroy brothers. It should not be, you know, James (laughs) says. So, so, you know, who is more impressionable than a, than a child? Mm. Nobody. And, you know, think about just the physicalness of, an average adult is between five foot, you know, three and six foot three, right? Mm-hmm. And you tower over this two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old. You know, you're right. you're, you're so much bigger. You know, so and then on top of that, you know, you have that angry emotion or that angry, that you know, impatient frustration that just all that emotion is just. Then you add to that, you know, hurtful words. That is a load mm-hmm. to dump on a little human being. So let's reverse that. Let's use our our stature, our power, our our language to lift, you know. Mm. And let's be mindful of the things we say to our children. And so, you know, when we're blessing, our hands are on them, and we're speaking out loud, and we're expressing 
a value and high value in this in, in, as we're using their words to bless this child. And then the, the last thing is um, we're picturing this uh, preferred future. And this is especially the, the uniqueness of the Old Testament blessing. Yeah. And, and it almost in the Old Testament, it takes on this prophetic nature. Mm. Again, we've referred to several times the idea of our, our church-wide reading through Genesis. And um, it's because you know, I'm reading ahead. Is it today or tomorrow where uh, Esau <laughs> and Jacob are, you know, talking about the blessing, wanting to get the blessing from Isaac. Right. Is it today's right. reading or tomorrow's? Um, I think it's tomorrow's. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, Esau, you know, uh, wants the blessing of his dad, and but Jacob tricked him. And so Jacob got the blessing, and there's this plaintive tone from Esau. Father, is there no blessing for me? It's just like, whoa, you know, whoa. And the, the blessing of the father in those days did have this almost prophetic element to it. And, mm. and it did play out that way in Esau and Jacob's life, just as, as, yeah. as the father Isaac, you know, declared it. So I'm not sure, Clay, that you and I have the power to prophetically declare our son's or our daughter's future. That's a whole other conversation. Right. But we can, um, we definitely can, can bless them in a way that, 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 that uh, vocalizes favor of God, mm-hmm. favor in their life, blessing, and yeah. that God is a God who loves to bless. And so, yeah. you know, you know when we read Jacob's blessing over his 12 sons, I mean, he got detailed, <laughs> you know, and so I don't know how detailed we can be about that, but, but right. all those elements together add up for a really powerful, mm. um, um, tool, a powerful gift that I, every parent has, but few parents use. Mm-hmm. So um, that book really helps explain. Yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah, let me uh, pray for our, our, our people, our, our parents. Yeah, please do. Um, <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be parents, many of us, and even of us, some of us who don't have children or who can't have children, we can exercise parenting responsibilities and discipling others and, and helping others parent. So, so all of us can, can play some sort of a role that you've given to, to parents and the power that you've given us is extraordinary. And so Lord, may we use that power for, for good, for, for blessing and, you know, as we said in the, in the sermon Sunday, I, I prayed that, that there would be fathers and mothers who would take this seriously, who would lay their hands on their children and say something out loud that's, that's powerful and, and, and potent and, and positive. Um, and that would speak a, a, a future into that child or into that person that is consistent with the Word of God and that is, that is reflective of your heart for us. And, uh, and that parents would realize that that is an incredible um, privilege and gift that, that parents have been given and they would utilize it appropriately. And so, Lord, let me pray my, a blessing over the, the, the people of our church. Lord, I just pray 
your favor upon the the hearers of this podcast that they would recognize the 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 significance of it and may your blessing rest upon them in the hearing of these words may your blessing rest upon the 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 words that are being spoken that reflect your heart oh god and that reflect your word that are consistent with your word and may your blessing rest upon them in the exercise of these parenting responsibilities and may your your blessing of grace rest upon parents who are so hard upon them or hard on themselves and that they would sense your grace, which is a blessing all in itself, upon them, that, that since you called them to be parents, you will equip them to be parents, and that they can and will parent their children to the glory of God, and they will fulfill the vision that you had when you made them parents and gave them those children, and they will raise their children to be God-centered children to the glory of God. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This reminds me, you know, one of the elements of a blessing that sets it apart from a prayer is the simple language of may you. That mm. language of may uh, is is a, is like a constitutive part of, of a blessing that sets yeah. it apart from a mere prayer for. Um, so I just remembered that and, yeah. and why I was blessing. <laughs> no, that's what, yeah. And that, that gets to sort of how you're. It's in the future tense, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and so you're speaking it into existence, yeah. as, as it were. Um, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, th- well, thank you so much, Jim, uh, for for that for that blessing, mm-hmm. and and also um, for this opportunity, and, and thank you, l- listeners, for for tuning in. Uh, like I said at the beginning, we would love to hear if you've got questions as you're studying Luke along with us. Send them in. We'd love mm-hmm. to address those, yeah. and if you're um, benefiting from this podcast if you're enjoying it would you let us know in the comments would you let us know by leaving us a five-star review that's really helpful not just for my personal ego (laughs) (laughs) it's it's helpful for us to get the word out there and to continue growing the podcast and and helping expose more people to um teaching from the from the word of the lord so um thank you guys so much and uh we will sign off Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.